102.5 FM, KXSFLP San Francisco, and KXSF.FM. You're tuned in to Spark, informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. This is Kelly Marlowe, host of Spark. Today I'm talking with Anne Ravel, former chair of the Federal Election Commission under President Obama's administration and lecturer at UC Berkeley School of Law. We will be talking about the power of dark money and what we can do about it in the upcoming 2020 elections. Thank you for joining me today, Anne. Thank you very much for asking me to talk to you. Let's start with what is dark money and how would you define it? Dark money uh, is money that is given in elections without transparency. And so when that money is dark, um, it essentially uh, is makes it impossible for the voter to know who's trying to influence their vote. And there's a lot of ways for dark money to enter into the election, and I think we'll be talking about that during this conversation. So my understanding is that create dark money is created under nonprofit organizations that file under most mostly five hundred one c. Well, it's that, but it's also done through limited liability corporations, which are not nonprofit corporations, um, and so that is a very common way of funneling money. Um, and you really don't know who's behind them, behind the money. So they don't have to disclose who the That's contributors right. are. That's correct. They don't. So, they often do it in the, in the name of the, non, of the LLC in that case, and it could be called anything. And the, because, because of the way that LLCs are set up, um, it's not possible to know who's giving money into that LLC. Okay, so it's a combination of either LLCs or 501Cs that are created to spend money to influence the elections. That's generally the case, yes. They are intended um, to uh, work on political campaigns. Um, 501C4s, are supposed to be social welfare organizations, um, but if they are not uh, doing political campaigning uh, under 50, a little over 50%, um, they definitely do not have to um, disclose their donors. And those who do it over 50% still don't disclose their donors. Uh, so even though they really are political committees. Right. As I understand it, dark money has increased in record pace, going from millions of dollars in donation already to over the billion mark this year. That's correct. It keeps increasing. And dark money uh, started, of course, after um, Citizens United. Okay. Talking about Citizens United, it's a landmark case it's his, it's in its 10th anniversary now, actually. Um, can you talk about the significance of this 2010 case? 
What Citizens United decided was that it was unconstitutional to prohibit unions and corporations uh, from making independent expenditures to uh, campaigns. They so the, while they cannot give money, according to Citizens United, directly to the candidate they can do them independently. And that is what then um, led to a case which was decided pretty soon thereafter called Speech Now, um, which because Citizens United allows individual unlimited contributions um, from individuals, unions, and corporations for IEs, they then set up PACs and the like, which super, especially super PACs, which uh, contribute. And what the consequence of Citizens United is that not only are there unlimited amounts of money that are now being spent in campaigns from these groups, but also it's much easier to hide your sources because you can set up different groups PACs, super PACs, L, you know, LLCs, 501c4s, and, and funnel the money through 501c6s, which are business organizations. And as you funnel them, keep, funnel, keep funneling them through, it's harder and harder to determine who's behind those contributions. So before the case, the corporations and unions and other organizations didn't have a First Amendment right. Correct, and now they, yeah. because of the case, they have a First Amendment right to spend what they like to influence the federal elections. That's correct. Um, in fact, the law is still very clear that corporations cannot uh, spend money directly to candidates, and nor can unions out of their treasuries give money directly to candidates, but. Now they can set up these PACs and other organizations and give unlimited amounts of money. What's the difference between super PACs or, and dark money, though? Is There's a difference, right? Because my understanding is now they're creating a combination of the two into one vehicle. Uh, well, they, they do uh, have a combination of them, but... Super PACs are really um, officially known as independent expenditure-only committees. Um, And so it really isn't specifically dark money. Um, But there can be super PACs that actually disclose. Um, But they were made possible by the same cases, the Citizens United and Speech Now, as I, as I said before. So um, they now definitely, um, based on some FEC advisory opinions, um, they actually are pretty deregulated. So they're similar, except super PACs, it sounds like they have to... Um the reveal, whereas dark money doesn't? Right. I mean, not, and super PACs um, often do not 
uh, reveal their um, their contributions because of the way that they um, get their money. In some ways, they they do, and in some in some cases, they don't. So it just depends. So it's similar then in terms of its ability to raise a lot of money without really revealing who's donating the money. Exactly. Okay. So dark money is used to like both Democratic and Republican officials, correct? It is. Uh, definitely both uh, Democrats and Republicans um, are either giving or um, receiving uh, dark money. Uh, so there isn't a distinction in terms of party, but but the experience is that the Republicans have actually um, been um, the recipients of a lot more money. That's dark money, but it's certainly not um, that the Democrats are pure. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I, I actually heard that the amount for Dem- Democrat officials or candidates who are running uh, for 2020 have, has gone up tremendously this year going to, into the elections that are coming up, which I thought was really interesting. Since, as you mentioned, I think the Republicans are probably, have, were the ones that, from my understanding, really created these vehicles um, for the funding mechanisms uh, that they were focused on. So I can see why people, individuals, may want to have privacy and how they spend or donate their money. Shouldn't people be entitled to their privacy if they want to spend a certain way, but they don't feel like they should have to reveal it? Well, I I understand why um, individuals don't want to be uh, known as contributing into certain candidates or to certain ballot measures or the like because they don't want to have a backlash against them generally. And there are some laws that um, protect people from harassment independently. But the reason why transparency of who's behind campaigns is so important and and even the supreme court when enacting campaign finance laws that that balance first amendment rights say that transparency enables the electorate to make informed decisions and to give proper weight to the different speakers and messages and if if people don't know who is behind certain contributions, then they sometimes can't find cues to determine whether um, they should vote for a particular candidate or even in California, all of our ballot measures. Um, you wouldn't know who's really behind it, uh, which is really important for people to be able to understand um, how to vote. And that's something even Justice Scalia, who, as you know, uh, was a pretty conservative justice, um, he said that a basis for our democracy is that you have to be brave and you have to be willing to stand up for your views in the democratic process. 
wouldn't lack of transparency be more of a problem with corporations and unions or legal entities that are trying to advance their special interests? Well, I think it is true that it it's a big issue for corporations and others, but it's also an issue for individuals. For example, I mean, I was um, in California at the Fair Political Practices Commission, and a number of people who were individual um, opponents, uh, or, or they weren't opponents, they, they supported Proposition 8, which was the proposition that was um, against uh, gay marriage. Uh, they sued the FPPC because they thought that they're being disclosed when they gave $100 or more um, was an invasion of privacy. And, and the courts determined that they had the obligation to essentially stand up for their political views and so and that they were not really being harassed when people took signs off their yards and the like that it was not the kind of harassment that would um impair their ability to participate in the political process so do you think that the perception of who your supporters are determine what most likely your decisions are going to be once you are elected I think that there is a really um, important correlation, not always, but it, there is a very big correlation between um, the kinds of um, people who give money to you, whether it be um, individuals or corporate interests. And when there's a lot of money given by one particular interest or one particular group, um, you can you can um, you can assess the the probability that the candidate may be influenced by getting so much money from one particular interest, and that's I think that's a a fairly common way of being able to determine it. I don't think that contributions per se from individuals mostly, uh, if they're randomized, that is, if it's not like a whole group of um, gun owners that banded together, and but they're all each individually giving money, I don't think you could say necessarily that everyone who gets uh, $500 or $50 from someone uh, who has that interest is necessarily going to be a believer in uh, open guns and not believing in control of guns. So, you know, it's it's not a direct correlation, but when there's a lot of money involved, I'd say there is. But which direction is it going? Is it because they want to put the money into the candidate who's most likely to support their position? Or is it the candidate who's most likely going to be supporting a position of those who are giving him or her the most money? Well, um, as um, someone who's observed the political system uh, a lot, it seems uh, pretty clear 
that the interests, the, the certain, uh, whether they be special interests or certain groups uh, that uh, have a particular perspective, they will seek out candidates that they can convince um, to support them if they give them a lot of money. So I would say, yes, it's true. Sometimes the candidates already have that perspective and will uh, will receive the money and it won't change their perspective. But much more often, it's the case that uh, candidates are willing to be somewhat malleable when they get enough money that will assist them in their campaigns. We're going to take a quick break and thank our underwriters. Be back on The Power of Dark Money in Elections with Anne Ravel. Does tooling around your radio dial leave you feeling empty? KXSF 102.5 FM is filling that void in San Francisco with more of what you want from radio. More music, more voices, more choices of programming, more benefit shows and co-presents, more live music and interviews, more of everything a true independent community radio can offer. But we also need more listener support to keep it all going. So please go online to kxsf.fm, click the donate button, and become part of people-powered community radio. Thanks for supporting KXSF 102.5, streaming at kxsf.fm. This is KXSF 102.5 FM, streaming worldwide at www.kxsf.fm. And you're tuned in to Spark with Kelly Marlowe. Informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. I was talking with Anne Ravel before the break about the power of dark money. And there's always been creative vehicles to circumvent the system. Why is dark money a bigger challenge now that needs to be addressed? Well, yes, there's always been ways to funnel money. Um, and then there's laws that try to address it. Uh, in the case of dark money now, it is a really big challenge because the way that the courts have interpreted uh, independent expenditures and the ability to have uh, unlimited amounts of money, and it's easy to um, give that money in a circuitous way that it's hard to determine where the money comes from, uh, which has given rise, as we know, in, in our um, politics to a lot of money that is foreign money and money that's given so that you can't ever figure out who's behind it. I think that makes it a, a much more difficult problem because uh, it requires uh, some sleuthing that the agencies can't do. Sometimes it's, it's hard to to um, to determine where the money comes from to begin with, people have suspicions, but it's hard to know. And because of that, 
as well as because of the state of the Constitution and the, con- the constitutional interpretations by the Supreme Court, it makes it um, much more difficult than money that has been used in the past where there have been solutions like soft money that and other things that have created issues. So what you're saying is that the challenge is more with the mechanisms that now are created to hide it even deeper so that it's harder to trace and it's harder to basically know where the money is coming from, especially now we have this issue that it may be coming from foreign countries. That's right. Exactly. So then it sounds like we're unable to track how much money is coming from foreign countries. That is that is true. It's very difficult to know. Um, and, you know, in certain cases, of course, uh, when they can arrest people at the at the border that at airports where you've either been tipped off or you have some way of knowing it that's one thing but otherwise it's very hard to know how much money is really being spent in campaigns as well how much money would you say has penetrated in the local elections versus federal elections that's um, a really difficult problem as well, but a lot of people who are now analyzing um, state and local elections and the lack of transparency there, um, it's like the Brennan Center, which has done some reports on this issue, um, and recognize that the increases of money at the state and local elections is also um, astronomical and that it's becoming very common for dark money to be spent locally. From the film Dark Money that you were in, my understanding is the money has also influenced state, federal, and Supreme Court nominees, correct? It absolutely has. Um, In very many cases, um, quite a bit of dark money that was utilized in the Kavanaugh confirmation battle. Usual amounts of um, dark money that were traced to mysterious limited liability corporations, for example, um, that donated probably over a million dollars. So there's a lot of it happening not only in Supreme Court nominations, but also just in uh, other local courts. So what is the role of the Federal Election Commission then, and why can't it do anything about it? Well, the Federal Election Commission was uh, set up after Watergate, and the reason that it was uh, part of a law was because during Watergate, Nixon actually received a lot of foreign money in cash given to his reelection campaign brought to the White House in bags full of the money. Um, and when that information came, became public, 
people were really upset about it and upset about the fact that there was no enforcement agency. So the Federal Election Commission was set up to enforce the already existing campaign finance laws, um, to issue regulations, uh, to give advice, uh, but mainly to investigate um, lack of transparency. And transparency was a very, and disclosure of campaign contributions was a really important part of the role of the Federal Election Commission. It is, the commission, however, was set up with six members, six commissioners, and no more than three can be of one political party. And the, the uh, commissioners are supposed to be appointed by the president, and they are, except that it has devolved because there are um, uh the requirement, there's also the requirement that they be confirmed by the Senate. And so what has happened over the years is that the majority leader and the minority leader of the Senate had a very strong role in appointing the particular commissioners. So with a 3-3 with a three, three commission, of three Republicans, three Democrats, and it requires four votes to do just about anything, even to open an investigation. And when they are so closely tied to the political parties, um, it ended up in absolute dysfunction because they could never get four votes to investigate matters. Uh, it was especially on serious violations of the law. And that was a fairly new, um, a, a, a new problem in the last maybe eight to 10 years. Prior to then, the Republicans and the Democrats generally agreed on the purposes of the commission and on the law. And so there was a lot done. And then when the political uh, situation in Washington became so polarized was when it began to, to um, they would not either enforce the law, um, investigate, or impose fines of any consequence. What's happened is it's become political or more of a political vehicle for both parties, and it's less about what the commission needs to get done. That's that's right. It has become that way, um, which makes it very difficult um, to get things done. And while, um, you know, we talked about the Democrats in... Um, who are who are running for office receiving dark money uh the the divisions of the democrats and the republicans was generally that the democrats favored enforcement of the law and the republicans did not and that was even in the case involving um democrats because when i was there there was uh complaint filed against the Hillary Clinton campaign 
and it was the Democrats who voted to investigate, and the Republicans voted not to. Interesting. Mm-hmm. What do you think has to happen to the Federal Election Commission then? Well, now it's even worse than it was before because um, there are only three commissioners. Uh, since I left uh, in 2017, uh, another commissioner left in 2018, and then another one left in 2019, and there are only three members. And that, that is not a quorum, so they cannot even meet. Uh, they can do absolutely nothing. And so it has gone from dysfunctional to totally non-functional. And I think what needs to happen, assuming that any legislation could pass, is that the uh, way that the uh, commissioners are nominated, I believe, should change so that there is an independent blue-ribbon group that is not partisan. It's constituted by, say, retired federal judges or people of some stature in the community who will appoint or nominate those individuals, give it to the president to nominate, and then the commission would be a far more functioning body than it is. Uh, And I know there's some legislation that's um, been proposed by a number of senators, but it hasn't gone anywhere. But if you leave it up to the president to decide, wouldn't that also be political in the sense that it could be determined by the president's interests? Yes. It would be political or could be political. And I think one of the proposals is uh, because these are, uh, this is an important commission and generally the president has the ultimate decision about some of these executive positions. Um, that's why it's thought that it would be best to leave it to the president to decide. But if the president does not appoint some of these individuals who are recommended by this Blue Ribbon Commission, it could be made a political issue um, because it would be public that they were proposed and rejected by the president. You have been concerned about the role of technology in online platforms tied to contributions. Can you talk about this? Yes. Uh, Technology has actually... Uh, and platforms in particular, um, because of the um, huge uh, involvement of those media in political campaigns, uh, they um, have a great deal of influence on the electoral process. And yet, there are no rules regulating the ads on the internet. And because of that, uh, there's really no requirements for disclosure. I know a number of the platforms have taken it upon themselves to give more information about who's behind a particular communication. But even then, each 
platform is different, and what people are willing or deserving to get it when they vote is the same information and the same understanding of who it is that's behind the campaigns, and we don't we don't uh, have that now, and so there's discrepancies. It, it's not enough. It does not fill the obligation that media should have, which they have in um, newspapers, they have in radio, they have in television, to give information about about who the donors are. That's a really good point. So platforms like Facebook that are being paid to advertise political ads should report what was spent on the platform so that right. people know who's paying for which ad and who's targeting them. That's right. They should. Um, and, you know, targeting, <clears throat> that's a very important aspect of this because the way that you can micro-target and the influence of micro-targeting on um, what we saw in 2016 and 2018 as political propaganda um, is is very pervasive and it can have a, a really strong influence on the outcome of elections and so the camp the platforms should be willing to give much more information about the targeting than they are now giving i mean facebook i know which was one of the uh, biggest scoff laws in 2016 um, has done a little bit to provide that information about micro-targeting, but not enough. Because we know people were targeted uh, for certain ads um, that were essentially to get them not to vote if they were African-Americans or Latinos and young people. And people were targeted to vote with false information if they were, say, gun owners or hated immigrants or the like. And none of that was ever disclosed to the people who were the recipients of the targeting. And why isn't there regulation on the social media platforms and hmm. technology? Well, there should be. <laughs> I think that there's no regulation because... Uh, there have been attempts to do some regulation on this. Um, there's something called the Honest Ads Act, uh, which was introduced in Congress, as well as H.R. 1, which was a broader um, act on democracy issues in this Congress, and it has not been taken up in the Senate. Uh, and so there's nothing in Congress that has or apparently can pass, and there is nothing that has been passed at the FEC in terms of regulations about the requirements for um, on-ad disclosure, because they can't agree at the FEC. Uh, so it's become um, an additional stalemate. Do you think it's also because they have such powerful lobbying teams in D.C.? Um, you know, it's possible. 
that that is one of the reasons. Although the platforms claim that they want uh, to protect our democracy, there hasn't been a huge amount of evidence to that effect um, in the in the uh, elections in either 2016 or 2018. But we know that they're trying to make some strides in this regard, but they probably don't really want to have a great deal of regulation. I can see that. Mm-hmm. Time for a short break. We'll return more on the power of dark money. Support for KXSF is provided by Rainbow Grocery, a worker-owned cooperative that has been serving San Francisco vegetarian food and providing a model for sustainable living since 1975. Rainbow is located at 1745 Folsom Street. Visit them online at rainbow.coop. KXSF would like to thank Rainbow Grocery for its continued support. This is KXSF 102.5 FM, streaming worldwide at www.kxsf.fm. And you're tuned in to Spark with Kelly Marlowe. Informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. Anne Rebell and I were talking about the power of online targeting and influence before the break. Apparently, even if candidates that are running for office are against dark money, they can't stop that group from supporting them, right? You have people who are supporting you, and you're like, I don't want you to support me, but the money's still coming in for you. I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. Well, if it's true that they're supporting the candidate and the candidate uh, doesn't want it and didn't know about it, um, and because uh, there's quite a bit of evidence that while the money that's coming in is supposed to not be coordinated with the candidate, those expenditures would be illegal if they were coordinated. Uh, we know that there are many instances of coordination. So it is true, though, that some candidates are probably uh, receiving independent expenditures that they did not ask for, solicit, or know about. And in that case, the candidates can't stop those communications from being aired or or mailers being sent out. But what candidates could do would be to publicly disassociate. They could publicly disassociate themselves from them and say not only did they not request them, but they also don't condone them. Because we know a lot of those independent ads are much more negative than what a candidate themselves would would air or would send out because uh, it's not good form for candidates uh, to be so clearly um, nasty. 
But it's those who are setting out independent expenditures, particularly when it's dark and nobody knows who's behind it, are willing to um, send things that are inflammatory or things that are false because there's no recriminations to groups that nobody knows who they are. It's a tricky situation, right? Let's say a candidate is supporting universal health care and the dark money is coming in to support that platform for universal health care. And the candidate says, well, I don't believe in dark money. I don't believe in being supported by dark money. But the money is actually coming in for that particular platform. And it just happens to be tied to the runner who supports it. Right. Yeah. And that's, that is possible for that to happen. Um, I would say in most cases, though, uh, not always, but in most cases, uh, the companies that are willing to spend a lot of money on dark uh, communications like that uh, probably have had some association with those candidates. But not always. You're right. I mean, that's possible. I want to ask what will you do if there's dark money supporting you in the 2020 election? I would make it very clear publicly uh, that I do not condone that kind of contribution. And that in particular, if it's an independent expenditure and it's a communication that is particularly either false or particularly nasty, um, since I believe in integrity of campaigns and honesty to the public, I would be straightforward about it. And it's rare to see that. You do see that sometimes, people, uh, candidates, uh, claiming that they knew nothing about it, but they don't necessarily say, this is wrong. Right, because there's so much money going to them. Exactly. That's right. And it is helping their campaign. I mean, it's a a money game, right? It's a dollar challenge. Exactly. It is. And, and, you know, I realize candidates need money. There's no question you need money to run campaigns. Um, But um, I think uh, integrity is more important. I agree. So what will it take for this to be addressed then? A scandal involving dark money that makes it all the way to the Supreme Court? I, I think that's right. Um, when when I first got to D.C., uh, I was told, because I was a strong advocate for disclosure and for, for openness, and I was told, oh, nothing's going to happen. The only time anything happens is when there's a scandal. And my response to that was, well, it is a scandal. I mean, what's going on is definitely a scandal, but it's not the kind of scandal that causes um, too much of a reaction, apparently, Um, although I think the American public is concerned about it. But 
I agree. It probably would have to be a major scandal that people are up in arms about and that ends up um, changing the court's mind. And I, I will say, not so much with dark money, but just in Citizens United in general, the justice who wrote Citizens United, Justice Kennedy, who's from California, uh, was asked at Harvard a number of years ago about all the disclosure that he claimed was going to happen, um, even though Citizens United was enacted. And um, the student asked him about it, and he said, yeah, well, it's not working the way it should. And and that is true. It is not working the way it should. And that's not working the way the Supreme Court envisioned it would in Citizens United because they said there was going to be full disclosure. So maybe it would, if something gets to the Supreme Court that's clearly scandalous, that the court will change its perspective. So it sounds like it's not going to be coming from the Congress, and you'll have to go back to the Supreme Court for right. re-ruling on it. What about voters? What can we do about it? Well, I firmly believe in um, in the power of people working together and speaking up, speaking out, speaking up about issues. Um, and if enough people are upset about it and and talk about it, I think that there could be some change in our uh, Congress. It could be changes locally that spread from state to state to require greater disclosure. And so uh, that's something that voters that the American public can do. And too often, people say they care about campaign finance issues and about transparency, but they don't vote on that issue generally. And they should say, this is an important issue for us. They would push to get it on the ballot? Well, not necessarily, but just push to assure that their elected representatives care about the issue and know that it's a priority. So maybe even start a group on Facebook across all the states and start protesting. Right. That's right. I mean, there are people, there are groups that already care about these issues, but they have their own limited group of of, uh, supporters. And if it was something that more people cared about and spoke about openly, it might make a difference. So there was a way to connect all the groups who are against it. Yeah, I think there would be. It would be very powerful, because I think it's very hard for most people to know where to start and what to do. Yes, I think that's true. It is. But there are lots of groups, uh, and people can, can... look this up on online, um, there's a lot of groups that care about democracy issues and that are fighting for greater disclosure. Um, and so that's something that, that people should do if they care about these issues. If I care about 
what's happening to our elections through dark money, I would look for these groups and either contribute or participate in making sure that the disclosures are being expanded in this case. Correct. That's right. Now we all know what to do. Thank you for joining me on Spark today. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure.